Welcome to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. Mary, looking lovely and talented. As I don't know how I can tell you look talented. but I was just going to ask that. How exactly does somebody look talented? I'm going to say this. Earlier this week, Mary had a medical issue and HIPAA, we have Tim Hogan on and I'm not sure if Tim would say it's appropriate I'll to say, but Mary, Mary, <laughs> did you or did you not have a sty in your eye? I still have a sty in my eye. And actually Elvin said that I could wear the glasses, but luckily thanks to modern makeup, I hope that not anyone knows. And um, I do recommend hot compresses because that did actually work very well. So I thank you to my eye doctor here in Westfield, New Jersey. Thank you, Mary. And by the way, there's absolutely no smart transition to this. I tried to bring in a medical issue and we bring in someone who knows healthcare better than most. He's that's been with why, us on last said a word. Actually, <laughs> hey Tim, we're actually on the air. That's Tim I love Hogan, our professionalism. Tim Hogan is executive, executive vice president of care transformation services at Hackensack Meridian Health and also the president, chief hospital executive at Riverview Medical Center. We've been partners with Tim for a long time. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me today, Steve and Mary. Appreciate it. Always great having you. Hey, Tim, we are in the middle of, or been doing for since 2017, a Physician Leadership Academy at Hackensack Meridian Health. I've been facilitating it. Mary's been working with me remotely. That would not have happened if you had not, quote, lit the match and gotten other executives at HMH on board. What is it? Why does it matter? Well, I think it matters because we, we want to get the word out as to, you know, what we're doing, what we're um, all about, what we've done during this period of, uh, you know, absolute unprecedented um, chaos. And, um, you know, you're, you've been able to benefit from having different perspectives coming in from our organization, which, which I think have been enlightening, have been informative, and have helped people get through this. Yeah, and Patrice Ventura and the HR team at HMAs deserve a lot of credit as well. But Tim, here's the thing. We've been working with these physicians, uh, again, it's for several years into the program, meaning they graduate the best of the best, as Tim likes to say, they go to the next level. Why focus on leadership? Devil's advocate question. Aren't physicians natural leaders? Why do they need coaching? Why do they need training? Why do they need these, these seminars? Isn't it just natural? Go ahead, Tim. You know, I think to the contrary, I think that, you know, medical school tutorship and, and that learning in medical schools is set up where it's very isolated and it's one-on-one -on -one training where physicians really, or medical students operate, you know, in one-to-one -one settings to move through. Um, there's, there's probably not enough attention giving to teamwork, giving to uh, communication, giving to messaging, uh, how to work together to get an end result. And what we find is that physicians are doing very, very well and are, are well equipped, equipped to operate clinically, uh, but they have no concept or little concept of uh, teamwork. They have little concept of business planning. They probably don't have as much uh, expertise in time management and other things that they should. And what we're trying to do is create an environment where we can help them improve those skills so that they can improve fundamentally as leaders. We recognize in our organization, and I think other organizations recognize this too, that in order to be transformational, in order to be innovative, in order to be cutting edge, in order to do the right things in terms of moving healthcare forward and how we're gonna serve our patients and families, that we really need to enlist these physicians to help us do that. Our organization, will be run in the future and led in the future by physicians to a large degree. And that's why we do this. 
As Mary uh, jumps in here, I want to also acknowledge that if you go on our website and under previous lessons and leadership segments, we've had uh, Bob Garrett, who is the CEO of HMH, uh, who has not just signed off on the Physician Leadership Academy, but is a big supporter of it. Dan Varga, Dr. Dan Varga, who is the chief uh, physician executive, if I'm not mistaken, Tim, he's been on as well. And also uh, acknowledge uh, um, Mark Stouter and also Jim Blazer. These are the executives along with Tim who have signed on to this and been so supportive. Mary, jump in, please. Sure. Uh, one of the areas, Tim, that we never thought we would need to be teaching in any of our communication and leadership seminars is truly pivoting and being able to adapt and change and be agile. When the pandemic uh, happened, obviously, everyone did have to pivot. What is the greatest lesson that you've been hearing from the physicians now? We're two and a half years into it. I know we've talked about this before, but I feel now that we're on the other end of it, at least, you know, a little bit, you feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. What lessons have you learned? Yeah, I think I think that you know, the lessons to be learned, you, you've really articulated them. It's really to be agile. It's really need to make quick decisions. And in a large organization, you know, the natural behavior of a large organization isn't to make decisions very quickly. Um, you know, all too often in large organizations, you're, you're working through a process that's going to take a significant period of time. We worked with our physician partners in terms of diagnosing what the issue was in real time, not fully understanding or appreciating the acuity of the issue, but having to really come together and find out how to resolve problems, move through this pandemic, help people and make our environment better and ensure that our patients came out of this on the right side of the equation rather than the wrong side. So I think the physicians appreciated the fact that we were proactive. I think they appreciated the fact that we cared. I think they appreciated the fact that we were trying to keep them safe as well as the team safe and that we were listening to them in terms of what they thought and what they were um, suggesting or recommending for how to move through this. You know, Mary, it's an interesting transition I want to make here in, in light of the conversation you're having with Tim right now. So the concept of wellness, right? Be more specific, physician wellness. There's nurse wellness, there's executive wellness, uh, but let's speak about physicians. One of the graduates of the Physician Leadership Academy, Dr. Amy Freeman, heads up the uh, wellness initiative at HMH, Hackensack Meridian Health. Tim, two years plus, end of April, we're doing this. What would you say the impact on the wellness, the well-being of physicians is not just to do their clinical, handle their clinical responsibilities, but now to be leaders outside of their clinical work? It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of work. And, you know, we're taking these people away from their families, their loved ones, uh, their, their professional commitments that they already have. It's funny that you mentioned that because we have done, I think, an excellent job in terms of trying to appreciate, understand, and give our physicians the tools they need to attend to themselves, to ensure that they're mentally and physically well, and that they're taking the time to step back and stay healthy. And people like Amy Freeman have led that charge. Um, in general, what we found through the pandemic is that people are exhausted, people are tired. Um, there's no clear answer as to when this will end and what steps should be taken. And you're, you're dealing with changing regulations every day. One of the things that I find most interesting is that as time has gone on, from a team member perspective, and I think from a physician perspective, people in general, society in general, they're getting exhausted too. They're getting uh, short too. They're getting... Um, more emotional. We're seeing violence in the hospitals rise uh, to unprecedented levels. 
Um, and, you know, it's really started to affect the team members. When you're praised as heroes at the beginning of the process, and then over time you're characterized as villains because you're trying to adhere to the rules that are set before you, it creates some challenging situations. We actually, uh, Jim Blazer and his group actually put together a documentary that is absolutely incredible called Unmasked. Unmasked by Jim Blazer, a, a top executive within HMH, uh, strategic leadership, et cetera, et cetera. What's it called, Unmasked? Unmasked, and we've gone in and we've talked to team members and gotten their perspective about how they operated through the pandemic and how the situation has changed for them in terms of their own emotional issues, how they're perceiving this, how they're working through it, and how the public is reacting to what they do. Real quick before we go, uh, check out our leadership library, stand-deliver.com, and you also hear our good friend, Mike Spenley, who just did the voiceover for this. Uh, we had him on a recent edition of Lessons in Leadership. We talk, about, we talk about our leadership library. This book is called Grit, Tim. It's written by Angela Duckworth. I, we actually have a chapter in this new book that Mary and I have been working on grit. Trust me, there's a question here. One of the things I've always admired about you, we've been working together for 15 years plus, Tim and I collaborating on development, coaching, training, et cetera. You've always struck me that one of your greatest attributes as a leader is your grit, your tenacity. Where does it come from? You know, I, it comes from, I'm sure for people, it comes from different places. I, you know, in my case, uh, you know, growing up was um, difficult. My family didn't have a lot of uh, financial means to work through. And you kind of, as you're getting older and recognizing what you need to do to try to set a course for yourself, to try to be successful, to try to move forward, um, you're pretty much going to have to do it on your own. So, you know, my tenacity probably comes from um, understanding that if I don't work hard, um, there's not going to be a lot of people who are going to look out for me or take care of me. I've got to do that myself. You know, the other part of it, the grit is I, I'm absolutely convinced that if you have the determination and you have the will and you have the ability to step back and understand that the people that you're working with also have interest and you can work toward the middle, you can get anything done. And I, and that has been something that I've tried to appreciate, understand, and uh, be cognizant of as I work through my work every day. And we are, there would not be an HMH Physician Leadership Academy without that level of grit, determination, and the support, not just of Tim, but the other top executives within HMH. Hey, Tim, our partner and friend, thank you so much for joining us on Lessons in Leadership. Thank you, Stephen. Mary, appreciate it. Good to see you again, and I'll see you soon. That's Tim Hogan. That's Mary Gamba. And this is Lessons in Leadership. Right back after this. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bicino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Welcome back to Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. Mary, 
Um, let's introduce our good friend, Joe Gingoli, who's coming to us from a very special location. Oh, I would love to. So we have Joe Gingoli, who is CEO of Gingoli DCO. Joe, thank you so much for joining us. And first and foremost, let our viewers know, where are you? Because that background looks incredible. <laughs> We're in a uh, what is referred to as a German bank barn. Uh, these are this particular one was built in the 1840s. Uh, it's right outside of Lambertville, New Jersey. And uh, we repurposed it from a barn to a um, conference space, meeting space. And also we use it for educational uh, facilities. We do clinics here on um, organic farming, beekeeping. And uh, we also do, uh, we have it open to the public on Wednesday nights for 12 step recovery meetings. And um, that's, our, that's our barn's new life. Joe, by way of background, also let folks know you have a you have some involvement in Atlantic City. Am I not correct? Am I correct about that? Uh, thanks for the lead. And yes, uh, my dear friend and partner, Jack Mars, his wife, Cheryl, my brother, Michael and I are the uh, local partners of the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino Atlantic City. Talk to us, Joe. And we've had many conversations with Joe offline about leadership, about life, about uh, family, et cetera, et cetera. Joe, you, those who know you and those who don't just Google Joe Gingoli, you have been a very successful entrepreneur, philanthropist, and you juggle an awful lot of things. Where does your sense of hard work, getting stuff done, and frankly, going beyond expectations come from? And is that all about leadership? I, um, I was raised by our our, my mother uh, had a small plumbing company. My father had a uh, small a utility construction company in New Jersey. And, um, you know, my brother and I were kind of raised by the, uh, the guys that worked in those companies. And, and I think somewhere along the line, um, in, you know, in, in, in I know my later teens, uh, they thought uh, there was a possibility that, that I had some potential. So those uh, laborers and carpenters and iron workers, uh, operating engineers, plumbers, uh, started to take me under their wing and said, you know, just the basic uh, lessons of life and lessons of management. You know, if you think about what we, what they were telling me, have to do all day long, if you're in a position of responsibility and, and you're able to take that pallet of brick and move it a little mm. bit closer to my workplace if you're able to give me a cover to work under um, when you walk out on the job uh, if you know the difference between whether I gave you all I could that day and you give me a pat on the back or if I could have given you a little more you have to know the difference in that and that will make a difference whether you will lead us or not whether we will follow you or not. And when you walk off the job, whether you will have our loyalty or not. And really learned it from the, the working men and women. Mary, uh, Joe talked about responsibility. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk to Joe. Uh, we've talked offline about social responsibility as a currency. Mary, go ahead, pick it up. Yeah, definitely, Joe. I know uh, you, uh, we've talked offline about giving back and the importance of that, but I actually had to Google it because after we spoke, I never really understood what was meant by social responsibility as a currency. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that and what that means? So the concept is um, growing up in the construction business, uh, 
the currencies that, that we dealt with in my early construction life were cost schedule. Basically the two. And in the late 70s and early 80s, we brought safety into that. So the, the utilities, the pharmaceuticals uh, really stepped up and said that we are going to turn safety into a currency, how we interact, what we find important, when we value and place value on our suppliers, subcontractors, et cetera, et cetera, there's going to be schedule, cost, and safety. And the industry itself put a, uh, there's a modifier that our insurance companies put on it. There's a way to rate us. There's a financial benefit and loss to not being safe. And there's opportunities that you may or may not get as a result of that. So the concept kind of came to me, which was, what if we did the same thing with social responsibility? I mean, we've we've done it with safety. The construction industry in the 70s and the 60s was dangerous, it was way more dangerous than it is now and it has become a very safe place to work. So we've done it before, why not do the same thing? So when we and our companies, whether it's our construction company or energy company, when we're interacting with, uh, whether it's government vendors, the community, uh, we take social responsibility and make it that other leg of the table, the other leg of the stool of, of who we are. So, you know, how do you do that? Well, I, I think uh, what we've kind of started to, to really do is switch the way we look at, at our communities and we say, this is not charity. This is not giving back. This is being a part of, this is a responsibility that comes with working in any community that we're in. And um, the more that we are able to use our market presence, our employees, uh, the work that we do, uh, whatever our, our value we're bringing, we're able to project that into the communities, it will be good for business. Yeah, I was just going to say, Joe, have you found, I mean, that there's been a lot of talk uh, recently about the great resignation and people choosing to leave organizations. Do you find that this is a positive for attracting and retaining your employees? Do they find value in knowing that they're working for an organization uh, that truly believes in responsibility and the social responsibility? So um, this brings us to the Gen Xs, the millennials. Um, and yeah, yeah, of course, with, the, with, with that group of people feeling that they're part of something um, and, you know, for all employees, they look at how you treat others because that's how you're going to treat them. So if they see you're interacting with your community in an honest way, if they see that, that you are truly um, uh, bringing uh, positive benefits to where you're doing business, I think your employees are going to look at it, and I know ours do, and say, hey, that's how they're going to treat me. Um, one of the things I, you know, I'm not sure where this one came from, but um, when I go and speak to groups, whether it's in any of our business sectors, and we're talking about employee retention and employee, we talk about this next generation um, and what do we need to do? So this social responsibility, of course, that's something that, that I know that they find important. But then, you know, you kind of get into like uh, 
you know, they want a bamboo floor, they want the desk that you stand up at, they want the squeezy ball to sit on, you know, the mocha latte machine. <laughs> so here's a thought. What if the young people in the communities, a lot of the business that we do is in the urban environment across the country and, you know, we're in the Caribbean, Canada. Um, what if those young people were right? What if they were right? What if they were right? They did not get opportunity. They were not treated fairly. Industry did not reach out and or recruit them um, and that they would make good employees. So let's, let's take it to say they are right, kind of a of an attitude that we took. And if we took the same amount of energy and effort where we hire recruiters, where we, you know, make sure there's not a straw in the office and that the squeezy ball to sit on and the desk that goes up and down for one demographic, what if we took that same amount of energy and effort and expense and just spent it over here to the people who are on the other side of the street from our project saying, please hire me, give me an opportunity. Now, and that includes Joe. That includes ex-offenders. That includes people who others have, frankly, lost any sense of faith that they can make a difference in society. And you've never bought that. No, I, we. I, I kind of go by the concept of, and you know, my you know my dear friend Jack Morris and my brother. You know, we're all on the same page on this one, which is. If every one of these young people got the exact same opportunities that we had, the outcomes would be very similar. And so we're taking that as not a theory. We're saying that is that that we're going under that assumption and it is proving out. Um, now. As opposed to hiring a recruiter, as opposed to some of the things that you're going to need to retain one group of people, over here, there are just other things that you need to address. And it's almost always transportation, childcare, and housing. And these three basics. things, the basics. Now, they get solved very easily. Got about a minute left. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry, Joe, for interrupting. I know we're running against time. Good. So those are basics, but for a lot of us, we take them for granted. For a lot of the people you're talking about, that's hard to achieve. But it's not hard for industry to achieve for their employees. We spend all this money over here on other employees. So in that first year or two, that all gets solved because especially in our industries, they're well paying. So it doesn't take them long to be able to afford their own childcare, their own transportation. And it's just in that initial stage. So we spend our time on that and we retain our employees. Trojan Goli has been, uh, he's understating, frankly, the impact that he and Jack Morris and, and others they're connected with are having on giving an awful lot of folks disproportionately in black and brown communities and urban communities, giving them an opportunity to earn a really good living, crack into the trades, if you will, into professions that heretofore, they've not had that opportunity. Uh, Joe's underselling, frankly, and um, the role he's had. Talk about a leader. Joe Gingole, I wanna thank you for joining us from a very special location outside of Lambertville. It's called The Barn, but it's so much, you gotta see it to believe it. Thank you, Joe, appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. I'm Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Lessons in Leadership. We'll be right back. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, 
and my colleague Mary Gamba has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. Welcome back to uh, Lessons in Leadership. Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba. I want to thank Joe Gingoli for uh, that segment and also Tim Hogan before that. Hey, Mary, real quick. Uh, before I ask you the question, is everyone a leader, which our good friend Larry Downs argues everyone is a leader, you and I will have that discussion because it's more complicated than that. Tell everyone who sponsors Lessons in Leadership. Of course, definitely. So we have Veolia, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the New Jersey Sharing Network. Delta Dental of New Jersey, Seton Hall University and the Bacino Leadership Institute and the North Ward Center. And one other plug that I wanna to give to, if you wanna follow us and Steve, you can follow Steve at Facebook at Steve Adubato PhD. It'll be right up there on screen. And also our website, stand-deliver.com. You can find past episodes of our great program there and a lot of free uh, columns and chapters of books. So it's a really great resource. What's up with potential spam? What, what, why am I getting? <laughs> you should pick it up while we're on the air. No, don't, that is too dangerous. Do not do it. Listen, listen, you don't have anything <laughs> meaningful to say to me. It's a recording. You're trying to sell me something and I'm trying to do a show. Oh, mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, friend, could you imagine? Do you, do you get oh, to be friend. a certain age and then all of a sudden you're on everyone's list? Never mind. Uh, yep. Hey, Mary, real quick, everyone's a leader. Larry Down said it. You and I are right working on this chapter for this new book that will mm -hmm. come out someday called The Tough Stuff. Yep. And the question is, Larry has argued, and check out our interview with Larry Downs, everyone's a leader. And then you and I started researching this and the definition of leader depends upon your definition of leader. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I remember sitting in back in the day when this was truly a podcast, just an audio podcast, you and I sat across from each other and had a very spirited conversation. And I said, no, you need people who are leaders, but you also need doers. And thanks to you and to Larry, I have definitely come almost 180 uh, because I do believe now that everyone is a leader in a certain way right? Not everyone is going to be a leader giving direction and giving instructions and making very important and challenging decisions. But true leadership is someone that even if they're being directed on how to do something or what to do, they still are going to step up and do it to the, their greatest ability. They're going to lead if they have to bring other people onto their team, if they have to okay. ask questions, that is still leadership. Okay. So Alvin directing right now, and he's, I also want to make clear that Frank Brown, our great audio engineer, is not with us today. Elvin's doing multiple jobs, including Frank's. Is that fair, Elvin? Okay. Okay. <laughs> so that makes him a leader because he's got so much. But Scarlin, I know Scarlin. Scarlin put his finger up. Which finger did you just give me? Oh, one. I'm sorry. Uh, one. Here's the question. Scarlin's behind the camera. He's a leader as well. Is he not, Mary? He sure is. Definitely. How, but why? Because he has to make all these decisions. He has no, to manage. No, but if something went awry, he would have to step up and say, wait, the audio is wrong or the camera turned off. And that's a leader, not being afraid to make decisions, not being afraid to speak up. But I used to just see it as, oh, a leader is you, Steve. You're the one that run the organization. A leader is the president of an organization. It, But leadership. That's positional is, leadership. 
Correct. It's situational leadership. We have talked about that. Yes. In a situation. And it's the old adage. If you're in a, if you're in a situation and somebody, God forbid, passes out and it's just you and that person, you're going to help them. If you're in a huge crowd and somebody passes out, everybody kind of looks around and says, oh, you know, is someone else going to do it? But I do see that Elvin says we need to say goodbye. So this conversation will have to take place on the next edition of Lessons in Leadership. Which makes Elvin Badger, our director, the ultimate leader of what's going on because he decides. Thank you, Elvin. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Scarlin. Thank you, everyone, on Lessons in Leadership. And thank you for watching. We'll see you next time. This edition of Lessons in Leadership is made possible by the Bucino Leadership Institute at Seton Hall University, Prager Metis, Valley Bank, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, the North Ward Center, the New Jersey Sharing Network, Delta Dental of New Jersey, Kessler Foundation, Veolia, and Seton Hall University, showing the world what great minds can do since 1856. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. Promotional support for this edition of Lessons in Leadership with me, Steve Adubato, and my colleague, Mary Gamba, has been provided by NJ.com, NJBIA, and New Jersey Business Magazine, CIANJ, and Commerce Magazine. This is the Seton Hall story, one that comes to life every day on our campus. This is the place where great minds discover, innovate, collaborate, and find their true calling. This is the place where passion has a purpose, where learning inspires leading. The bonds we make, the values we teach, inspire our community to take heart and take action. This is Seton Hall University. This is what great minds can do.